Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled, For Ye Are Bought With a Price, was given on May 14, 1957 by Joseph Fielding Smith, then a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It isn't often that I take a text. I'm going to take one today, and then maybe depart from it. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. This truth is one that we should always remember. It's absolutely true. We are not our own. We were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. and redeemed through the mercy of his Father and himself. Through that atonement, there comes to mankind first the resurrection of the dead. Every soul born into this world will receive a resurrection. Paul makes that clear. The Savior makes it clear. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. If one soul failed of a resurrection, Christ would not gain the complete victory. Now, let us think back into the beginning. We lived before we came here. There are scriptural references sufficient to prove that, which I need not take time to mention, that is, to refer to. We are the offspring of God. As Paul has also stated in the 12th chapter of Hebrews and in the 17th chapter of Acts, he's the father of our spirits. We're his children. All the people on the face of the earth are his children. 
We came to this world for two great purposes. One, to get these tabernacles of flesh and bones. The other, to pass, to pass through a period of probation, of testing, to see whether or not we would be willing to keep the commandments of God walking by faith and not by sight. Everyone in this room has seen their eternal Father. We dwell in his presence. But we were shut out when we were born into this world to walk by faith. But the Lord has not left us groping to find our way helplessly, for he has given us commandments through the revelations of his servants, the prophets, from the beginning to the present time. Adam, the first man on the earth and the father of the human family, was placed in the Garden of Eden where he was not subject to death, nor Eve. They could have remained there forever. But had they done so, the purposes of the Lord would not have been fulfilled. We read in the words of Lehi that Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. The fall of Adam through the partaking of the forbidden fruit was part of the great plan Christ is spoken of in our scriptures as the, lambs, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Meaning by that that he was chosen before the foundation of the world to come here to perform the duty that he did perform to offer the sacrifice, an infinite sacrifice to redeem men from the fall. I want to read to you a few verses from Jacob, found in the ninth chapter of Second Nephi. In regard to our coming here, what the condition would have been had there been no atonement. Writing about the atonement of Jesus Christ, he says, For his death hath passed upon all men to fulfill the merciful plan of the great Creator, there must needs be a power of resurrection. 
And the resurrection must needs come unto man by reason of the fall. And the fall came by reason of transgression. And because man became fallen, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord. Wherefore, it must needs be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement, the corruption could not put on incorruption. Wherefore, the first judgment which came upon man must needs have remained to an endless duration. And if so, this flesh must have laid down to rot and to crumble to its mother earth to rise no more. Now, the first judgment spoken of here is the condemnation that came to Adam because of the fall and which brought, which brought death. Death was the result of the breaking of that commandment. That means there came a separation through death of spirit and body. Now, since Jacob, may, or Jacob makes this very plain, I'll quote him instead of commenting on it. Oh, the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace. For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to that angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God and become the devil, to rise no more. And our spirits must have become like unto him, and we become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God, and to remain with the father of lies in misery like unto himself. Yea, to that being who beguiled our first parents, who transformeth formeth himself nigh unto an angel of light, and stirreth up the children of men unto secret combinations of murder and all manner of secret works of darkness. Oh, how great the goodness of our God, who prepareth a way for our escape from the grasp of this awful monster, Yea, that monster death in hell, which I call the death of the body and also the death of the spirit. Meaning by the death of the spirit that they would become, we would have become subject unto Satan under his power and that would have been our end. And because of the way of deliverance of our God, the Holy One of Israel, this death of which I have spoken, which is the temporal, shall deliver up his dead, which is de the death, which death is the grave. And this death of which I have spoken, which is the spiritual death, shall deliver up its dead, which spiritual death is hell. Wherefore death and hell must deliver up their dead, and hell must deliver up its captive spirits. And the grave must be delivered, must deliver, deliver, deliver up its captive bodies. And the bodies and the spirits of men 
will be restored one to another, that is, by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. Oh, how great the plan of our God. For on the other hand, the paradise of God must deliver up the spirits of the righteous. And the grave deliver up the bodies of the righteous and the spirit and the body is restored to itself again and all men become incorruptible and immortal and they are living souls having a perfect knowledge like unto us in the flesh save it be that our knowledge shall be perfect. We have no right we have the privilege, but no right to do wrong. No man has a right to violate a commandment that God has given. But he has his agency. He may be true and faithful in the keeping of the commandments of the Lord, or he may reject them. The free agency which we have is one of the greatest gifts of God. The power to make our own choice. We read in the Pearl of Great Price that Satan in the beginning, when the plan was discussed in regard to the children of our Father coming upon an earth like this, Satan proposed that he would come and be the Redeemer and he would save all men that not one soul should be lost. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? a plan that would save all, that not one would be lost. But when we think of the consequences of such a salvation, how it would be obtained, then, of course, the bubble bursts. It's a fallacy. Satan's plan was that we would be compelled to be saved. We would have no agency. We could make no choice. Everything would be compulsion. Like machines, we would do the thing that we are told to do. In fact, we'd have to do the thing we were told to do. There would be no agency. There would be no freedom. And hence, there could be no salvation. The plan the Lord has given unto us is that we may act for ourselves, do our own thinking. We will have guidance, of course, but we can rebel if we wish. And hence, by merit, rewards are given. 
By rebellion, the consequences are that punishment must come. No man could be punished for sin if he had no agency. No man could reward be rewarded for good if he had no agency. We are taught in our scriptures that we are going to be judged according to our works. It would be absolutely needless for you students of this university to be here if you could not do your own thinking. If you were compelled and to act just like machines. I repeat, no one has a right to do wrong. If we had a right to do wrong, we couldn't be punished for it. We could not be punished for something that was my, our right. Sometimes we hear people say, I have a right to do this. Well, you don't have the right. You have the privilege. You have the privilege to sin. And therefore, there will be a punishment. That is, you have the privilege to sin, I should say. And therefore, there is a punishment. Because you're violating a divine law. Do we have a right to do that which is right? Yes, we do. We have a perfect right to keep the commandments of God, but we have no right to break them. We were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid for us. The suffering that he underwent in order to give us salvation from death is beyond the comprehension of mortal man. When you stop to think that he took upon him the burden of the sins of every soul that will repent and keep his commandments. Now there's a mistaken notion, I think, that prevails somewhat in the world, that Christ died for the sins of everybody. No, he did not. He did not die for the sins of the unrepentant. If he died for their sins, then they would not have to be punished for them. He died for the sins, to take upon himself the burden of the sins of every soul who will be obedient in the keeping of his commandments. Nobody else.
And I think our scriptures are perfectly clear in relation to that. And I want to read you a passage of scripture on that point. For I, behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore to suffer both body and spirit, and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father, and I partook, and finished my preparations unto the children of men. Wherefore, I command you again, again to repent, lest I humble you with my almighty power, and that you confess your sins, lest you suffer these punishments of which I have spoken. I didn't tell you who he said that to, and it isn't necessary, because it applies to every soul. I think many times of the suffering of our Savior. I can't understand just how he could take upon himself the burden of our sins and pay the debt, for it was paying a debt. But I accept it on faith. I know that he died that we might live. He died to redeem all men from the grave, and he died to redeem all men from their sins on condition of their repentance and acceptance of his truth. If we are faithful and true, we are not going to be punished for our sins. He paid that price. If the sinner repents and turns unto God and keeps his commandments, then he paid to, for him the price. But they who rebel against him will have to suffer their own sins. I have known of men, had men come to me, big, strong, husky fellows, trembling with mental torment because of their sins and wondering if there was any way possible for them to get relief. They have come in the anguish of their souls. Now, have you ever sinned there's anybody here that hasn't committed a sin, 
we'll excuse you. You can leave this assembly. I don't need to talk to you. Now, when you've done something that was wrong, and you have sorely repented of it, you know how you felt. It was not a comfortable feeling, was it? To know that you had done something that was wrong, and now you have the spirit of repentance, and you suffered. And it's a good thing you suffered, for that's what repentance does to us. Well, now think of the Savior carrying a burden in some way which I cannot understand, but which I know to be true, which I'm sure you do not understand, a united burden of the sins of all those who have sinned and who have repented of their sins. And he carried the burden of that upon himself and paid the price through suffering. You know, a great many people think that the great suffering the Savior had was driving nails in his hands and in his feet leaving him to die on a cross. As excruciating as that was, and as severe as the pain had to be, others have suffered that. Thousands of them. Men have been tortured to death. But that was the least of the suffering of the Son of God. His suffering was greater and before he ever went to the cross. When he prayed to his father that the cup might pass, he was not thinking of the nails in his hands or feet and hanging on a cross. It was a torment of his soul in some mysterious way in which he was benefiting me and you and all who are willing to accept him as their redeemer and keep his commandments. It was the united burden of the sins which we would have paid for if it had been possible and there had been no atonement. He paid that price. It was before he ever went to the cross that the blood oozed from the pores of his body. And that great anguish came upon him, which was so terrific. And when I think of him being willing to carry that burden of sins to relieve us, I feel that I want to keep his commandments. I want to love him. And that's the commandment that we have been given, that we should love God with all our hearts and love our Redeemer with all our hearts.
I like what's written in the Doctrine and Covenants in the 59th section. Wherefore, I give unto them, that is, the members of the church, a commandment, saying thus, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy might, mind, and strength, and in the name of Jesus Christ thou shalt serve him. Now I'll get back to these words of Paul's, for you're bought with a price. I heard a man say one time, we were not ransomed because nobody could be paid the ransom. We were ransomed. Who is paid? Death was paid. The price that brought death had to be paid in order that we can be, could be freed from death. And that required an infinite atonement, that is, the atonement of a God in our behalf. It had to be by someone who is not subject to death. Now we've all had fathers, as the scriptures say, of the flesh who corrected us. Should we not much rather be in subjection to the father of spirits? Why, certainly. We had to be redeemed by somebody who had the right to the resurrection and still had the power to die. My father couldn't redeem me. My grandfather couldn't redeem me. I've had no father of the flesh clear back to Adam that could redeem me from death, nor have you. For we have all had fathers of the flesh who had fathers who were mortal as we are. And so we were subject to, the, to death. It required somebody to come who did not have the, or who did have, I should say, who did have the power to die and take up his body again. By right. I can't lay down my body and take it up again, neither can you, of ourselves. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Another sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold 
and one shepherd. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. That's the difference between the Savior and the rest of us. He had no mortal father. The God we worship is the father of his body. He got his blood from his mother who was mortal. And by that right he could lay down his life. And by the right that he was the offspring of God, he could take it up again. There never was a time while he was on the face of the earth, that death was not subject to him and he did not have the power over death. And that's why he came into the world to redeem us from this awful condition which would have left us subject to Satan. And he restored to us life through the resurrection of the dead. So he bought us with his blood. We belong to him, whether we know it or not. Everybody does. He has a right to tell us what to do. He has a right to punish when we violate the laws he has given. He has the right to reward when we are obedient. Let us be true and faithful to him. Let's love him with all our hearts and strive with all our minds to keep his commandments. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.